Thanks to the internet and smartphones, all of human knowledge is practically at our fingertips. However, has this avalanche of data brought clarity or just more confusion? I believe that too much information makes us vulnerable to lies and more so than we may realize. In fact, we're not just vulnerable to lies, we often go in search of the lies because we prefer the lies to the truth. As Jack Jack Nicholson says in the movie A Few Good Men, you can't handle the truth. Let me explain. We all love to be right, right? Who likes to be right? Just me? Okay, good. Thank you. Uh, So we naturally are going to gravitate toward the information that confirms our existing beliefs. This is a phenomenon called confirmation bias. Uh, Grace, do we have slides this morning? There we go. Awesome. Confirmation bias. So our brains prefer familiar beliefs. That's confirmation bias at play. We're all guilty of it. For instance, when your favorite sports team plays, don't you sometimes wonder if the ref can even see? (laughs) Like, are you blind, ref? But when that same referee makes a bad call, like in your heart, you know it's a bad call, but he makes a bad call in favor of your team, you're like, yeah, that ref, he's seen something I don't see. He's on the field, I'm not. Like, we, we act to justify it, right? We tend to believe what we want to believe. This confirmation bias contributes to what we call echo chambers. Ooh, there we go. My remote's not working today. Um, Where all we hear are the things that we agree with. So these spaces, online or offline, are custom-built for our existing beliefs and convictions. So I want you guys to consider the the brewing battles between coffee and tea enthusiasts, okay? Each camp steadfastly holds to their cup of truth. At their most pure... They meet in their own places, right? We have coffee shops and tea rooms. And each has its own culture, rituals, and values. And so coffee enthusiasts, uh, they may gather together. And at some point in that conversation, they may discuss the perfect brew. And in doing so, they may share their hatred for the leaf juice. While tea enthusiasts may gather to discuss the serenity of a perfect cup of tea brewed just right while mocking the bean water drinkers. So who here is team coffee? Raise your hand. Okay, who here is team tea? And who's judging both of you because we're team soda? Okay, some of us, nice. So now that I've divided the truth, let me connect this to scripture. Whew, I don't, ah, I do have power. Okay, so the Apostle Paul, advice to Timothy, resonates today more than ever. He warns, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. So our echo chambers shield us from differing views and we become blind to different perspectives, discarding, distorted, and even mocking any idea that threatens our previously held belief. And within these comfortable spaces, the echoes grow louder, reinforcing what we already believe. Now, to complicate things further... Nope, Grace, you're going to have to try to keep up with me. I'm sorry. To complicate things further, um, we have misinformation and disinformation. There we go, misinformation. Um, And these aren't exactly comic book villains on the loose, but they think more like a cartoon, like the cartoon duo from my childhood, Pinky and the Brain. How many of you remember that cartoon? 
only those of us who are almost 40. Okay, so misinformation is like pinky, which is harmless in intent, but it causes inadvertent chaos, like a game of telephone. Uh, facts are uh, distorted, they're twisted, and then they're misunderstood as they get passed along a chain of communication. But disinformation, on the other hand, this is like the brain. It's more sinister, intentionally spreading falsehoods disguised as the truth. So remember how the tobacco industry downplayed the smoking for years? Like smoking, right? No, not children, it's not. Um, and of course, we have the internet trolls today who spread false information to incite outrage and confusion around contentious issues. Like we're all aware of the problem of disinformation, right? We might not agree on what is disinformation, but we know it's a problem. So today, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 20, where Paul warns the Ephesian elders about the threat of false teaching, misinformation, and disinformation in the church. And his warning from centuries ago alert us to our ongoing struggle with truth today. But there's hope. Today, we're going to see that Paul equipped the Ephesian church and us to stand strong against false teaching. So before we dive into Acts 20, let me set the stage. Paul is at a, a small town called Miletus. It's a coastal town in Asia Minor. And he's in a hurry to reach Jerusalem before Pentecost. Yet he takes his time to meet the Ephesian elders. But he's bypassing Ephesus on his way back to Jerusalem. So he sends word to the Ephesian elders and have them meet him here in uh, Miletus. And so they all travel at least a day to get there for this meeting. And Paul, having them all gathered, minces no words. Paul begins by recapping his ministry in Ephesus, which we looked at a little bit last week, where he's highlighting his humility, so his character of humility, his trials, and his dedication to the gospel. Paul's reminding them of who he is, what he's about. And he's reminding them of not just what he's about, but his credibility and his commitment. And then from this personal reflection, he moves into this charge to the leaders. And friends, the message that Paul gives them is not just a page from church history that's interesting to look at. It's as relevant today as it was then. The struggle might have shifted from the streets of Ephesus to our screens, but the battle battle against misinformation and disinformation continues. So we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 25. The word of the Lord says, And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, here's the thing. Paul has this gut feeling, actually, it's a Holy Spirit conviction, that he's not going to see these people again. It's one of the reasons this message uses such dramatic language. But Paul's not worried about his own future, even though the Spirit's telling him that it's going to involve uh, trials, chains, and afflictions. Sounds fun. Uh, His focus is on his flock. It's on mentoring the Ephesian elders to succeed in their mission. So what he's saying here is, hey, if you guys reject the gospel, that's not on me. I've done my part. Now, Paul here is referencing the prophet Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was given a charge by God to be a watchman for the people of Israel by God. And if the people had done wickedness and he hadn't said anything, he would have been responsible. But here, 
like Ezekiel, Paul gives the whole truth. And so Paul's saying, I've done my part. I've told you everything that you need to hear to avoid wickedness. And he goes on to look at these elders and he says, you guys, you're now the watchmen. So Paul passes the baton to the elders. And friends, that's us too. Here at Neighborhood Bible Church, we have a group of pastor elders who have been given responsibility uh, by Scripture, by the Lord, to watch out for false teachers, to watch out for sound doctrine within our church. And this is one of our primary responsibilities. But it's not just our responsibility. It's your responsibility, too. We're all called to be spiritual watchmen within our community. Now, there's a certain youthful zeal, and sometimes it uh, comes to older people as well, uh, but there's a youthful uh, zeal, particularly in younger Christians, that focuses heavily on discernment. And they're eager to parse and judge every small detail. And I can speak to this because I spent most of my 20s believing that I had a personal discernment ministry for everyone around me. Um, I was going to discern for you every little thing that came out of your mouth, uh, particularly if it was about the Lord. And in the digital age, it's not uncommon to find believers who have dedicated their entire online persona uh, to stay vigilant against false teaching, uh, to have this ministry of discernment, heavily scrutinizing the church. But when I tell us that we're called to be watchmen, as Paul calls us here, it's to be vigilant against false teaching. It's not to be overly scrutinizing and critical of the church. Our focus, like that of Paul, should be on the gospel, While we all have opinions, we have to carefully consider Paul's words to the Romans. He says in Romans 14.1, Welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. So if something is a disputed matter, if it's not central to the gospel, don't spend a lot of time arguing about it. Now, we're called to hold firm to the truth, yet do so with grace and love ever mindful of the bigger picture, the gospel of Christ. So let's turn our attention to how this calling was embodied by Paul himself. In this role, Paul didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. He lived in Ephesus for three years, seeing firsthand the trials of the Ephesians, uh, and particularly what the Ephesian elders were up against in Ephesus. He knows that this city is dedicated to the worship of the goddess um, Artemis, and he knows that the people there have already clashed with the gospel because... Uh, Artemis is a town that's built on the worship of um, Artemis, but using idols. And so Paul has just recently ticked off silversmiths because he's threatened their entirely livelihood. And the silversmith uh, incites a riot that leads to filling up the entire town theater with people angry at Paul. So Paul has not forgotten the challenge. He's well aware. But despite it all, Paul never sugarcoats the truth. He doesn't back down from the truth. He didn't shy away from hard truths. He preached it all, every word. And his hope was that the Ephesians, armed with the truth, could stand against the world's deceptions. And it's the same for us today, friends. We live in a culture that idolizes success, wealth, reputation, and influence. And all of those things sound really good. I'd like to have all of them. Amen? But in the face of those attractive things, our confirmation bias is going to kick in and have us pursuing the values of the world because they sound good and right to us. Unless we know our Bibles well in order to discern God's truth from the world's lies. So you need to use your Bible as your spotlight to reveal God's truth amongst the world's lies. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Matt, these lies are overwhelming. I'm going to just build a bunker 
and hide from the world and limit my contact with all the lies. Steve often talks about wanting to build a bunker in the backyard of the church. Um, but sadly, that won't work. Because the threat isn't just outside of the church. Right? It's lurking within our own Christian communities. So I want you to see what Paul's saying in verse 29. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up, even from your own number, and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remember that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each of you, um, each one of you with tears. So Paul here is painting a really grim picture. Savage wolves will come in among you. This isn't a fairy tale. This is real. And it's happening in our churches today. Distorted versions of the gospel are being peddled right under our noses, and often so subtly that we miss them. You need to watch out for sneaky story changers that turn God's good news into something else. Here's an example. The Duggar family. You might remember their TV show about their life with 19 kids. On the surface, it was a refreshing Christian presence on mainstream TV. I admired the seemingly sweet, quirky family, and I was inspired by their strength of conviction. However, when I dug into what they believed, I was disturbed by what I found. Now, I'm not standing here to judge anyone's salvation or intentions, but friends were encouraged to test the spirits to see if they're from God, right? The Duggar family follows the teaching of Bill Gothard, who started this ministry in the 1960s, with a heavy emphasis on authority. On the surface, it seems biblical. We're supposed to respect authority. I can give you verse uh, and quote it uh, to prove that that is true. But the blind obedience that Gothard taught, twisting the scripture, particularly his teaching that, uh, that when you blindly obey, um, that blessing is seemingly promised, that doesn't line up with God's word, especially when it involves breaking God's commands. There's growing reports, in fact, an entire documentary and multiple books from the Duggar children alone, that talk about how Gothard's teaching on authority led to abuse by those who followed his teaching. And actually, we have allegations of abuse against Gothard himself. So the biblical value of respect for authority, let's be clear, is not justification for control or abuse. When the Bible tells us to respect people in charge, it doesn't mean it's okay for them to hurt us. What was presented by Gothard as a spiritual umbrella of protection for those submitting to authority, sadly, was corrupted into a shield for abusers. Gothard's teachings may sound biblical, but they twist the gospel into legalism because true Christianity is actually a personal journey with Jesus fueled by grace. It's not a checklist of rules. So I'm going to echo Paul. Beware false teachers. Beware wolves among the flock. This is precisely the kind of danger Paul was warning the Ephesians about, that he's warning us about. Let me be really clear. Just because something has a Christian label slapped on it doesn't mean it represents the truth of Jesus Christ and his teachings. One of the most prevalent Christian lies is the prosperity gospel, which argues that our faith results in wealth and health. This couldn't be further from the truth. When we dig into the Bible, we find a different story. God doesn't promise us a mansion or a private jet. The Bible calls us to cling tight to our faith in God no matter what storm hits us because the Bible tells us storms are going to hit. Not jets. 
Faith doesn't guarantee wealth or health. It promises us Jesus, our true eternal treasure. Let me give you an example of how the prosperity gospel sneaks into our churches. You know that famous verse, Jeremiah 29, 11? It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. It's a beautiful verse, right? It's like perfect for a coffee mug. But here's where we have to be detectives for the truth. Proof texting, yanking a verse out of its context, is like taking a single puzzle piece and assuming you know the entire puzzle. You're going to miss the mark when you do this. When we look at the whole puzzle, we see that Jeremiah 29, 11 was a specific promise to a group of exiles, not a winning lottery ticket for Americans today. The real jackpot is not riches, but God's faithfulness. It's God saying, I got you. I'm with you no matter what. The Bible, my friends, it's one epic story from Genesis all the way to Revelation. To truly get it, we have to explore it all. It's why we take our children on a tour of the whole Bible every three years. The heart of the Bible story isn't about a heavenly ATM, but about Jesus giving us his righteousness. Let's unravel another misinterpretation we often hear. How many of you have heard this? God won't give you more than you can handle. We love the idea, right? It's comforting. We even have a scripture ready to proof text it. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you will be able to bear it. Let's wait a minute. That verse is talking about temptation, not about life being a walk in the park. When we believe that God doesn't give us more than we can handle, it causes us to believe that every hurdle is something that we personally have to leap over. And this shifts our focus from God's strength to our own. We start thinking we just have to dig our heels in, push harder, grit our teeth, and bear it. It's exhausting and not the way that God intended it, uh, intended us to live. Life's hurdles aren't for us to jump over. They're invitations to lean on God's strength. Remember, the Bible doesn't sugarcoat life. It tells us point blank life is going to have its storms. Jesus himself said, you will have suffering in the world. But he didn't stop there. He continues, be courageous. I have conquered the world. Jesus is our true hope. Our hope isn't in successfully navigating what is truly more than we can handle. But knowing that when we hit our limit, we have a Savior who's overcome the world. When we lean on him, he lends us his strength, his comfort, his peace in the midst of life's storms. It's in our weakness that his power shines brightest, not in you pulling yourself up by the bootstraps to do something that you weren't meant to do. So when life throws you a curveball, don't put on a brave face and try to handle it all. Reach out to the one who's already overcome the world. Because when we're empty, that's when God fills us up. He makes us strong, not by our power, but by his grace and love. Now, before I bring the sermon to a close, let's get practical. How do we put our faith in action? How do we fend off these threats, the wolves, and stay rooted in God's truth? Now, it's crucial for us to understand that Scripture isn't just some dusty history book. It's a living, breathing message from God that is as relevant to us today as it was when it was first written. The wolves we face aren't a surprise for Paul. He wasn't just randomly worried about these wolves that might show up. Because all of Scripture testifies that this is a problem. 
the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament. His full-time job seemed to be arguing with people who were going around claiming to speak for God and spreading a feel-good message, saying everything was fine. (laughs) And when God was, in fact, warning of coming disaster. Sounds like a really fun job for Jeremiah to have. And then... You fast forward a few hundred years, and we've got Jesus himself giving his disciples a heads up in Matthew saying, guys, there will be some fakes claiming to be messiahs and prophets. They're going to perform some crazy tricks, trying to fool everyone, even you, if that were possible. In fact, remember that the very first wolf we encounter in the Bible, that crafty serpent in the Garden of Eden, spinning lies and deceit, trying to pull one over on Adam and Eve, and succeeding. The problem of wolves is, um, or false teachers is a reoccurring theme right from the very beginning pages of the Bible. But remember, our great hope, Jesus, is the serpent crusher. He's the wolf slayer. His victory over sin was already, has already set the stage for victory. Even as we remain vigilant against lies today, we're filled with anticipation, we're filled with hope, knowing that our Savior's mission isn't just to defeat these uh, threats, but to restore all things. So let this gospel hope fuel your uh, faith and guide your steps as you face these challenges, as we eagerly await the dawning of his perfectly restored creation. That's what you and I have to look forward to. So while we hold tightly to the hope Jesus gives us, and that the battle has already been won, let's not forget that the battle isn't over just yet. The false teachers of today are no less dangerous than the wolves of Paul's day. They have simply changed their tactics to suit the times. Often they've gone digital. They hide behind charming podcasts, appearing, uh, appealing YouTube channels, and pervasive social media profiles. They might have books. They might have a TV show. The danger in all of them, and at least the ones who are liars, lie in their subtlety. They wrap their messages in half-truths and misunderstandings, making it hard to spot the deceit unless we're grounded in the gospel. Jesus warns us in Matthew 7, he says, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Beware the wolves who use Christian language, quote scripture, but twist it all to fit their narrative. That's where the danger lies. But let me assure you, this isn't a call to fear or despair. You don't need to build a bunker. It's a call to be vigilant. Truth. We've got a secret weapon against these wolves. The word of God. It's our compass, our GPS, our lighthouse in the storm. So let's be like the Bereans that we saw in Acts chapter 17. Daily examining the scripture to ensure that what they heard was right. Let's dive in to God's word. Seek the Holy Spirit's guidance and keep our roots planted firmly in the truth of the gospel. In this era of information overload, let's be eagle-eyed, discerning the genuine from the counterfeit. Anyone can claim to be a shepherd is the problem with the internet. But we have to be wise to sniff out the wolves. Only when we're anchored in God's truth can we tell the difference. So let's commit to filling our minds and hearts with God's word. Let's be vigilant in guarding our faith. And let's ensure that we're following the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, the one who laid down his life for us. 
Stand firm, friends, rooted in the truth, always ready to discern and defend these threats. So, how do we put this in action? First, you've got to arm yourself with the complete counsel of God's word. This means not just a favorite verse here and there. You're not going to get by on Caleb's verse of the day. You need to know the whole thing, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. Know it, live it, love it. Reading your Bible isn't just some good old-fashioned advice. Reading the Bible is our gym. It's our training ground for strengthening our discernment muscles. When we immerse ourselves in God's word, we start spotting the counterfeits in our culture, the half-truths and the twisted tales. Second, remember that this isn't a solo mission. The American church loves to be a bunch of individuals, but we're called to be a team. We're stronger together. Our community groups here at Neighborhood Bible Church are crucial, providing a safe place to ask questions, learn from each other, and hold each other accountable. When we're wrestling with some difficult scripture or puzzling questions, sometimes it's our brothers and sisters who help us to see the light. We're not stopping there, though. Reading the Bible is just the start. We also need to pray and meditate on Scripture. Pray and meditate on Scripture. Pray the very words of Scripture back to God. Memorize Scripture. How does Jesus respond when the devil tempts him? Jesus responds by quoting Scripture. Imagine if you know Scripture so well that when people lie to you, you can refute it with the truth of God's Word, just like Jesus did. Above all, pray for discernment and wisdom. God is not some far-off figure. He's our loving Father who wants us to understand his word. So ask him. Ask him to guide your understanding and the application of his word. Remember, it's not just about reading the Bible. It's about living it out. It's about taking what we learn and letting it change how we think, how we speak, how we act, allowing the Bible to become our worldview, the filter through which we see the entire world. Friends, standing firm against the wolves of our time isn't about fear, but faith. It's not about suspicion, but discernment. It's not about closing ourselves off, but opening ourselves up to God's word, opening ourselves up to his people and his spirit. As we wind up, I want you to picture yourself fully committed to knowing God's word. You're feasting on the solid diet of God's truth. Your compass always points towards God, not away. What a place of strength that is for us who are afraid of the enemy's lies. So here's our guiding principle. This is our rally cry. To defend against wolves, arm yourself with the entire truth of God's word. Remember that. Write it down. Stick it on your fridge. Let's not be those Christians who just check the Bible verse of the day and call it done. We need to dig deep, friends. We're in this for the long haul. The band is going to come up and lead us in song. And my hope is that you'll make the lyrics of the song your prayer. The song we're going to sing is, Here's My Heart. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. We need to be listening to the Lord, speaking, seeking out his truth, allowing it to shape our hearts. Why? 
Because our God is strong. He's sure. He's life enduring. He's good. He's always true. He's our light breaking through the darkness. It's by his power and his strength that we face the challenges of life. And as we journey on this path together, let's remember this. We're not just reading God's word. We're living it. We are not just learners of the word. We're doers of the word. We're letting God's word become the truth that shapes us, the truth that speaks into our hearts. Like the song says, here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Church, as we face a world full of wolves and sheep's clothing, let's entrust our hearts and lives to God, allowing his truth to guide us and fortify us. Here's our hearts, Lord. Here's our lives, Lord. Speak what is true.